Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Jimenez here. So glad to be with you guys once again here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. So wherever you're at, however you're listening to this podcast, my friend, I want you to know that before every recording, as we open the pages of God's Word, that we pray for our listeners. And one of the prayers that I oftentimes pray for my listeners is that you be sanctified, that you be set apart for God's good work. So before we dive into part two of Friday of Passion Week, this is podcast 105, allow me to read a portion of Hebrews chapter six to you. And I pray this ministers to you, that it speaks to you wherever you're at in your faith, in your life, or maybe there's a particular circumstance or trial that you're facing right now. I pray this will bring comfort to you. Perhaps you're in full-time ministry and you're listening to Stand Strong of the Word to just be grounded and to take time to let other people teach you as God is using you to teach other people. So in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says, and I pray this ministers to you wherever you're at, my friend. It says, "Though, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So my friends, as we gather together, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing right now, there are so many of us around the world who gather on this podcast to study the life and teachings of Jesus. And so I just pray that you remain patient, knowing that the inherited promises that you were given according to scripture, uh, you are seeing a part of it right now, but it will be fulfilled that day when we will see Jesus Christ face to face. So I pray that's a huge blessing to you. So now let's transition back into our chronological study into the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've missed any previous podcast, you can always go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcasts. My notes are also available, so take advantage of those things. And if you'd like to drop us a note, you have a question or a prayer request, you can reach us at info at standstrongministries.org and let us know how we can support what you're going through or if you have a theological question or maybe you want to provide some additional insight into one of the texts that we have been talking about. Man, I would love to hear from you. So take advantage of that. And also, whatever platform you're using, I just remind you guys, would you please prayerfully consider you know, taking advantage of if letting other people know. Use your social media to let people know what Stand Strong uh, Ministries has been doing in your life through the podcast. I mean, those are always great opportunities um, as people are being grounded in the work that we're doing that you guys are out there and you're spreading it and you're sharing it with other people. So I would greatly appreciate that 
as well. So let's dive right back into the second event. Remember the last event that we saw as Jesus left the upper room and he was praying in the garden and the disciples were really tired and they were struggling and they didn't fully understand the depth of what was about to take place. And of course, Judas Iscariot comes with a mob of people. And last time we talked about these mercenaries, Roman soldiers, you have Jewish soldiers from the temple that are there. You have religious leaders who are there. And so they come to arrest Jesus and the disciples flee and they leave Jesus there and he's abandoned. And so he's arrested. And so now we pick things up now here in John chapter 18, verses 13 through 14 and verses 19 through 24, where Jesus goes before Annas. And this is the first Jewish trial. And this this first phase is to liquidate Jesus, basically to get things to stick on him to make him look guilty. And here we see in verse 13 of John 18 that he was led to Annas. And Annas here, we're told, according to John, that he was a father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Verse 14, it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And you go back to John 11, verses 50 through 52, where he said that. So here we're told that Jesus is taken alone after his disciples were scattered and fled in Matthew 26, 56 and John 16, 32. But then one has to wonder, like, who is Annas? Why is Jesus first presented before him? Well, if you go back in history, Quinarius was the governor of Syria. And at that time, he had appointed Annas as high priest in AD 60. And then in AD 15, he was disposed by Valerius Gratus, who was a procreator of Judea. And after Annas's five sons ruled as high priest... Then his son-in-law Caiaphas begins to rule in AD 18 and he rules all the way to AD 36. And right before he uh, leaves his post, Annas dies in about AD 35. Now we're told in verse 19 that the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Now again, it appears that Annas is actually the high priest, but we got to understand that was not by Roman consent. The Romans did not recognize Annas as the high priest, he had been the high priest, but the Jewish people still held Annas in high esteem. Case in point, he goes before Annas before he goes before Caiaphas. Now notice, Annas asks specific questions regarding Jesus's inner group, and he asks specific questions into his teachings. What he's going to be doing is probing Jesus to see if he will reveal any subservient teaching or subversive teaching. And he's going to use that against Jesus. But we have to understand something in context. If you examine what is taking place right now, a couple things immediately come to mind. Number one, this very proceeding was illegal. It was done after sunset. This is at nighttime. This is forbidden by the law. Number two, as mentioned earlier, when you look at the fact that Jesus first appears before Annas, before Caiaphas, possibly Annas was doing it to protect his son-in-law. But nevertheless, there's no reasoning for them to arrest Jesus on unfounded claims and present him before someone who was not the active high priest who was, a, who was governing the law, interpreting the law. And number three, according to the law, witnesses needed to be questioned before the accused. And yet that is not the case. So now we're told here in verse 20, Jesus answered, Annas, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. 
Why do you ask me? And those who have heard me, what I said to them, they know what I said. So here, Jesus challenges Annas's notion that his teachings are subversive. So Jesus knows what Annas is trying to do. And of course, he's going to take this and he's going to give it to Caiaphas and the religious leaders so that they can convict Jesus. Now, Jesus taught openly in the synagogue. So he's saying, examine my public teachings, examine my debates, examine the times when I challenge the religious leaders on a regular basis. None of this was done in secret. And there have been plenty of witnesses who can verify what I have taught. And of course, at any given time, if I did anything that ran contrary to the law, I would have been arrested. So now we're told in verse 22, when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? So slapping Jesus in public, this was a shameful and a humiliating act. So they're just degrading Jesus in front of Annas. And so in verse 23, Jesus answers again, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? So again, Jesus is challenging their actions. They arrested him for no reason, performed an illegal interrogation in the middle of the night at a private home without warning. They provided no witnesses. And in the process, they humiliate him in public. And so we're told in verse 24 that Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So Annas here knows that he's not, he's not going to get anywhere with Jesus. And so he decides to send him to Caiaphas to continue the proceedings. Or perhaps taking G Jesus to Annas first was a tactic to buy Caiaphas time to assemble the chief priests, elders, and scribes. Whatever the case, notice the illegal proceedings that were taking place before Jesus. And it's shameful to think about it. But again, you and I know the purposes behind all of these actions was to lead Jesus to the cross so that he can atone for your sins and for mine. Now, event number three on Friday of Passion Week, now Jesus goes before Caiaphas. This is the second Jewish trial. And this is where the death sentence is going to come. Now, this is mentioned in all four Gospels, in Matthew 26, 57 through 68, Mark 14, 53 through 65, Luke chapter 22, verse 54, and then 63 through 65, and then John 18, 15 through 17. So as always, I'm just going to combine all these narratives into one so we can kind of get a better understanding. So let's look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 57, where it says, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now we're told in Luke chapter 22, verse 54, that it was led to Caiaphas's house, where the scribes, and then in Mark 14, verse 53, all of the chief priests and elders had gathered. So not just some, but they're all there. All the chief priests are there. So more than likely, the time that Jesus was presented before Annas gave Caiaphas opportunity to assemble all of these chief priests to be in, in the presence of his home with the elders and scribes. Now, Caiaphas calls upon the Sanhedrin here to come to his house. And the, and the sole purpose was, hey, guys, we have finally captured Jesus through us paying, obviously, Judas Iscariot. And he's going to be coming over to my house. He's with my father-in-law right now, but he's going to come to my house next and we're going to interrogate him. 
and we're going to find fault in him, and then we're going to sentence him to death once and for all. So boom, they're awoken, and they come running to Caiaphas's house so they can interrogate Jesus. Now, the NIV Cultural Background Study Guide says this, quote, the members of the Sanhedrin who met to try Jesus violated ethical standards held not only by Pharisees, but even by many Gentile moralists of the period. Trials were supposed to be conducted during daylight in the normal meeting hall. In this case, that was near the temple, not in the leading judge's home. Whereas Pharisees opposed hasty executions after deliberations, the Sadducees were known for harsh and often quick punishments. The most obvious breach of ethics, of course, is the presence of false and mutually contradictory witnesses. Clearly, some members of the Sanhedrin present acted with legal integrity, cross-examining the witnesses, but by Pharisaic standards, the case should have been thrown out once the witnesses contradicted one another, as you see in Mark 14, verse 59. The high priest's plan may have been simply to have a preliminary hearing to formulate a charge to bring it to Pilate, the expected procedure before accusing someone before the governor, end quote. So you can see the manipulation here. Now we're told in John 18, verse 56 through 16, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So now Peter and one other disciple, they followed the mob from the Kedron Valley back into the city of Jerusalem. Now, some commentaries think the other disciple is John. If you go to John chapter 20, verse 2, John 21, verse 20 and 24. However, Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea better explain, I think, the relationship with the high priest and therefore is mentioning possibly one of them because they were also invited to be there because they're part of the Sanhedrin. In verse 16, it says, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So again, whoever this disciple is, notice that he's able to have a servant allow Peter to come in and this disciple who is unidentified is not just known by the high priest, but also by his servants. And then we're told in verse 17, the servant girl at the door looking at Peter says, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. So here is Peter's first denial of Jesus. Now, this is a big contrast to what Jesus heard from Peter's own lips earlier that night. Remember going back to John 13, verses 37 through 38, where Peter said to him in the upper room, just again, this is just a few hours ago, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Remember the words that Jesus said to Peter? You will lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So this is the first denial to a servant girl who's at the door who let him come in because he was with a disciple that was known to the high priest and his servants. So let's now look at Mark chapter 14, verses 55 through 65. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Literally, this is, they were not finding any results. Verse 56, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree, meaning it was not equal. It did not align. 
And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. I mean, my friend, if you stop and you think about how pathetic this is, going back to what we said earlier, all of this procedure is illegal. And now the Sanhedrin, we're just, we're just told in verse 55, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus, but they could not find anything. And here they're assembled at Caiaphas's home early in the morning, and they're attempting to bring a solid accusation against Jesus. And all they could drum up is false witnesses. Now in Jewish procedures, witnesses acted as the prosecution and two or more witnesses were needed to put someone to death, according to Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. And they couldn't find any. Now, this phrase, I will destroy this temple, many Jews believed God would bring a new temple. But they clearly took Jesus' meaning out of context. And when you examine this phrase that their testimony did not agree, it points back to that fact that people within the Sanhedrin were probably responding, saying, well, we we, the Jews, we do believe that God will bring a new temple. Possibly that's what Jesus was referring to. But we know, and in retrospect, that Jesus at the time, he was speaking of his resurrection and bringing newness of life. And now we're told in verse 60, and the high priest stood up in the midst and he asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and he made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? So here Jesus' silence, it stuns Caiaphas. They wanted him to retaliate. They wanted him to get into an arguing match against these accusations that were being brought against him. So in a way, that would have legitimized their proceedings. But instead, Jesus, as you and I know him to be the Messiah, he remained obedient to the point where he was going to go to the cross. Because we're told in Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So Jesus was fulfilling scripture here. He did not retaliate. Verse 62, he then finally says, I am... And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So Jesus is responding to confirm without a doubt that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of Man. Remember, he's not meddling in, into their affairs. But when Caiaphas was asking, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And he says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with clouds of heaven. He's proclaiming his glory. And now this is the first time in Mark's gospel account whereby Jesus emphatically declares that he is the Messiah. Now, in response to this particular passage in John MacArthur's study Bible, he says this declarative statement, I am, it's an explicit, unambiguous declaration that Jesus was and is both the Messiah and the Son of God. This phrase, Son of Man, Jesus used this commonly acknowledged messianic title of himself more than 80 times in the Gospels. Here in a reference to Psalm 110 verse 1 and Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. Now this right hand of the power, you see this all throughout scripture in Acts chapter 2 verse 33, Acts 7 verse 55, Hebrews 2 verse 9, Revelation 12 verse 5. 
what Jesus is mentioning, according to MacArthur, is his glorified position. Of course, hearing this, we know that the high priest was not going to believe Jesus. And that's where we're told in verse 63 that he tore his garments, Caiaphas did, and said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Now, when you look at this gesture that was committed by Caiaphas, this was probably his inner garment. Now, tearing his inner garment, this was a symbolic gesture reacting to something indignant or even considered to be blasphemous. Because Caiaphas, when he heard what Jesus said, he believed Jesus' statement of basically declaring himself God was self-incriminating. And therefore, he could be condemned to death and send him to Pilate to basically give that stamp of approval. Now, notice what Luke chapter 22, verses 63 through 65 says. Now, the men who were holding, meaning they're keeping watch of Jesus in custody, they were mocking. In the Greek, they were making fun of him. Literally, they were pretending to be him. Could you imagine that? Jesus is in custody. He's going to be condemned to death. They're waiting to connect him to then Pontius Pilate. So while he's waiting to go before Pontius Pilate, the people who are watching over him were making fun of his teachings. They're probably mocking his healings and the way that he went about Galilee and took care of people. And as they were doing that, they were also beating him. And then we're told in verse 64, they also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? Verse 65, and they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. This word here in Greek, blaspheming, is to slander, to harm one's reputation. So these guards, whoever they were, however many they, they had in there watching Jesus, they're taking what they heard about him throughout the night and they continue to relentlessly mock him, blindfold him, and beat him. You know, my friends, every time I read that passage, it's always a reminder of the love that Jesus has for you and for me. He didn't do anything wrong and yet he was condemned to death, but he did it. He went through this type of blasphemy. He went through this type of humiliation, this type of abuse so that you and I can have eternal life. And so whatever is going on in your life, whatever you're faced with right now, Jesus can relate. He's been through so much. And we are told that we have a high priest who can sympathize in all ways. And isn't that amazing? Here you have the human high priest that people respect in both accounts from Annas and Caiaphas. And yet the true high priest, our high priest, Jesus, we're told in Hebrews 4, he can sympathize in all ways. And it's through him that we have the forgiveness of sins. Caiaphas is a manipulator. Jesus Christ is savior. Caiaphas is fallen. Jesus is perfect. So my friends, as I close out, just be reminded, don't look to man as your answer. We oftentimes get so consumed, we get so fixated in what other people think that we oftentimes neglect to read the scriptures and see what the word of God has to say, or we want other people's advice. And sometimes that's good, but not when you're overlooking what the Bible has to say, or you're not spending time in prayer. So seek the Lord out and ask for him to strengthen you. 
so that you can continue to move forward, that you can continue to fight the good fight of faith, that you can endure, that you can persevere, that you can walk in obedience and not give in uh, to the ways of this world. I love the fact that our Savior went through so much shame and he did it because of his great love for us. And we also, as Christ followers, when, when, when we ask for the outpouring of the spirit of love to come upon us, we could do amazing things for God because we love his people, that we put the needs of others before ourselves as Jesus is doing. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about Peter's denial, and we're going to be examining the inner turmoil that he was facing and kind of you know use that as an application to look in our lives and see how is your walk with God yourself? Because a lot of times we say a lot of bold things like Peter, and then we blow it. But how do we work through those things? How do we pick up the pieces and continue to move forward in our relationship with God? So I hope next time you'll tune in and that together as we explore God's word that we will continue to grow sharper and stronger in our faith. So thank you, my friends. I love you guys for listening. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.